This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. Well, the NFL Combine is uh, getting underway. Lots of questions about a lot of players, some of which could be wearing Seahawks uniforms next season. And a man who's on the scene, he's right there watching every bit of it, covers the Seahawks for the Seattle Times, does a great job with that, is with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. He is Bob Condota. How are you, man? Good, yeah. How are you guys doing? We're, we're good. We're good. Waiting for all the festivities to get rolling out there. And uh, I'm curious what the... What, what the buzz is out there? We've been talking about, you know, all the coaches that aren't there. Um, you know, obviously the Seahawks coaches are not there. Sean McVay is not there. Kyle Shanahan. Uh, you can go down the list. It's a number of coaches. And it, it I don't know if there's uh, more that we haven't heard about, but is this is this becoming more of a, a normal thing? Is that a conversation out there at all as to the coaches that aren't going to be attending? Um, yeah, a little bit, uh, for sure. I, it's... Uh... I, I think it is going to become a little bit of a thing because I think it's 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 become a huge event, obviously, and and it's kind of it, it kind of drags on for you know I, with with other league meetings and and things that happen there, and so I think coaches can end up maybe you know you know I mean I, I think people spend you, know, you can spend a week out here basically, and so I think it's with it becoming with it being as close to it as to free agency and with the off season program, and especially for the Seahawks, you know one of the big things with that is just simply that their off season program can start up to two weeks earlier than it normally does um, because they have a new head coach. So the, the timing of it, just in their case, you know, you're, you're basically talking, you can be on the, not on the field necessarily, but you can start having your guys in, in the building and start teaching them stuff on, you know, that first week of April, which is what they want to do. So, you know, I, I don't know if for them, this is going to be an all the time thing, or if it's just kind of unique to this, to this season, but with some of those other guys for sure. But, you know, the other thing is just technology. I mean, those guys can get in on, interviews i was uh there was a player today who mentioned that mcdonald was on the interview that he was on with the seahawks so obviously mcdonald had gotten on you know um from there via zoom and had gotten on so you know the coaches can take part that way and so i think they feel like it's just a, a lot better use of their time um you know if they just want to be uh you know you, you can you can be there all day you, you know you can be back in seattle all day long doing that kind of stuff and then hop on some of these zoom interviews at at night you know during the couple hours of the you know the three or four hour period those are sort of a lot in how effective do you think those are we talked to somebody who's pretty smart yesterday uh el hombre guy that we have on all the time and he pointed out the fact that you know when you're there in person you know, you see certain ticks and things from from players, looks, expressions, things like that. Do you think Zoom captures all of that, or is it a little bit of a disadvantage in your mind? Not well, the thing there. is, that's what they're counting on John Snyder to be able to do, right? Uh, so John and all his guys. So you know, they have that eight or ten yeah. player personnel guys. So I, I, you know, it's it's not like nobody's there to do that. It's just not. It's just not the head coach. You, you know, obviously John Snyder and all the player personnel guys are here. You know, Nolan Teasley and. Um, you know, the other, uh, all the, all those other guys are here. So, so they can kind of see those things. Um, but, you know, you can still bring all the guys in for the other visits for the, for the top 30 visits. You can see the guys at pro days. 
Um, you can see you guys at, at the senior bowl and, uh, and obviously coaches weren't at that this year because they weren't <laughs> Seahawks coaches yet, but, um, you know, coaches a lot of times can go to those. So there's a lot of places you, you, you can have done that. So, um, it, you know, there's always the, the, the stories, especially of, of guys they drafted after the fact, like with Pete, you know, when Pete took his shirt off to when DK Metcalf walked through the door, that this sort of makes for fun, but. I don't I don't know how much decisions are ever really made on those you know during those 15 minute interviews I um, you know I, I think they're part of the process I think they help the scouts uh, you know the scouts a lot certainly they can help kind of get the, you know the coaches get an idea of who the guys are a little bit you know one interesting thing is between you know between uh, the UW coaches and McDonald. Um, the, you've got guys on the staff who coached 31 players who I think are here. <laughs> that's 10, that's 10% of everybody that's invited, I think, with the 18 Michigan guys, and I think it's 11 or 12 Washington guys, um, you know, of, of the 300 or so who are here. And, um, you know, so that's also kind of a unique situation at that time this way. But, you know, also they coached against, you know, guys who were in college who coached against a lot of other guys these times too. You know, everybody from – uh, you know, every Pac-12 guy, uh, you've got, you know, some UW coaches on the staff who just spent the last couple of years coaching against them. Same with McDonald and, you know, the other guys, uh, Jay Harbaugh and some of the guys who, who were with Michigan, they coached against all the Ohio State, and Illinois, and everybody else kind of guys. So, you know, this might be a time, another time when they feel like they don't need, you know, you just, they, they, they don't necessarily need that. I would imagine that, you know, they'll probably have the coaches come in um, I mean, I wouldn't think this is a forever thing for the Seahawks necessarily, but who knows? Maybe it will be. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see, too, though, what's happening with the Combine. You know, there's only one more year, it's for sure guaranteed to be here in Indy. Um, and if they start moving it around, and, and, you know, if it's in L.A. or somewhere like that, uh, which has been the talk, you know, they'll start moving it around some. And it's, you know, closer to Seattle where maybe you can jet in for literally a day or two if you just want, if, if there's some specific guys you want to talk to. Um, you know, that could happen that way. Uh, you know, there are some coaches that I think that's what they're doing. I think there's some of the coaches who are closer to the area who maybe are just coming in for a night or two to, to talk to some of the people they want to. They're just not spending the whole day here and uh, the whole week here. And because they're not here early, they're not doing the media sessions. All the media stuff sort of takes place before a lot of the rest of the other stuff does. Bob, do you get a sense of how different the draft may look now that John is, is the primary guy in charge, you know, before it was the team effort and it was always hard to tell from the outside, you know, how much, you know, say one had versus Pete had over John or John over Pete, what have you, in terms of some of the picks that were made. You know, we've, we've had some curious picks over the years, whether it was, you know, L.J. Collier or, or, or James Carpenter or, you know, Kristen Michael, where, you you know, sort of those head-scratching moments. And I don't know if that's Pete or John or maybe they both agreed, who knows. But do you, do you get a sense it's going to look different now that it's that Pete's not part of the process? Yeah, I wouldn't know how to define that, really, how, how it would look. I mean, uh, I'll defend James Carpenter. He played like 10 years in the NFL, and he did start on a Super Bowl, team that won the Super Bowl. But, uh, but I get your point. Uh, they have, uh, they, you know, some of the reaches. You always sort of wondered, if, was that Pete or was that John? Um, it, it, which direction were they going? And I, I always felt it was hard to, you know, with too many guys to really say specifically who it was, who was, uh, um, you know, whose who's call that was on some of those. Uh I, I I don't know how we'll really know that you know that that it would be a lot different um, um, in that way. I, I, I to me I, I think uh, it's more with McDonald and what kind of scheme they want to do. To me that would be the difference. And, and are there things that he will look for, especially with what um, they want to do defensively? 
Um, is he going to look for some things that are a little bit different? So does that influence it more more than just the Pete John dynamic? But to me, it's more the dynamic of um, and, and with Grubb on offense as well. Are there some things they want to look for that are a little bit different than what they have been doing with Pete, um, kind of just schematically? And um, is, you know, are there some things that way that they want to go a different route? Hey, Bob, how many combines is this for you? And when you go out there, what's the most important thing that that you look for that you watch at the combine? Well, yeah, this was this was my tenth, I think. Um, so the the thing is, we don't really watch the drills a whole lot. Um, you know, the main reason most of the media comes is to just do the interviews. You know, mm-hmm. so there's sort of two days early where all the coaches and general managers are available. Um, and in the past, it's all you know. Both Pete and John were here, so we had times we could talk to them. Both kind of their big sessions, and then sort of informally, um, you know, away from the podium, you could talk to them, and you could run into the coaches, um, you know, kind of just, you know, um, uh, kind of just walking around the convention center and stuff like that. Um, and then all the players, you know, every single player comes through. So you know, today they had all the basically defensive linemen and uh, linebackers uh, talk today. So every single one of those came through and was available for about 15 minutes. So that's that's really the biggest reason most of the media are here is for that access. And it's not really to watch the drills um, and the, the the drills they have inside Lucas Oil. And I went last year and watched uh, some of the drills, but, you know, you're sitting a million miles away watching guys do 40-yard four, uh, dashes on a field, you know. Um, there's not I, I don't know that anybody can see a whole lot. You are way, way, way better watching that stuff on TV um, than you would be being here in person. So I, there's nothing really I, I look for that way. It's, it's simply more just a chance to – to be around these guys, but I do find that really helpful. I, you know, you, you, you can stumble into just hearing interviews with, with guys and somebody you've never really heard of before, but you go, you know, you're just kind of there when he, he does his interview and it's somebody that, uh, um, you know, you then know a whole lot more about when it comes draft time. And today I went and uh, talked to, you know, tried to talk to a bunch of Michigan guys about McDonald and, and, you know, who knows, maybe they'll draft some of those guys. So I, you know, for me, it just kind of helps that way to, to get a sense of, you know, who some of those guys are a lot more. Hey, Bob, you know, always obviously a lot of rumors fly around there, whether it's, you know, potential trades or we're going to release this guy, tag this guy, what have you for different teams. And out here, the story has been a little video clip that we saw an interview with Aaron Levine and, and Coach McDonald. And he was asked about, you know, Gino and Drew Locke being the quarterbacks for the foreseeable future here with this team. And and the, this was conducted before the, the guarantee and Gino's contract kicked in. But he was at that point saying, well, that's hard to say at this point you know we're evaluating blah 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 uh and, it, and it's taken on some life out here people a little surprised he didn't have a more full-throated support for gino or yes he's our guy what, what what's your take on that is that a conversation out there because some people feel like the 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 restructuring of the contract or shifting the signing bonus into roster bonus what have you was sort of paving the way for a potential trade and that that seems to be a conversation what, what are your feelings about all yeah. that yeah, the the explanation I've heard on that is is he answered that as sort of a, a both of them answer and the fact that Drew Locke isn't under contract. You know, he's a free agent; they have to sign him. He didn't; he doesn't feel comfortable basically talking about Drew as part of the team. So that's sort of what I've heard was sort of the the situation behind that answer is is it was more just because they you know contractually they don't even know if one of those guys is going to be here. Um, so I, I don't know if he viewed it necessarily as a, as a Gino starting question. Cause I don't know. I, I don't know if that was exactly how it was phrased. So, um, I, I think, I think it might've been more that, but we talked to John some yesterday about that and asked him about, you know, the timing of 
timing of it. And he insisted, uh, you know, with, with Gino's contract restructure that there, there was no other meaning behind that other than it was something they were going to do anyway. Um, so they just decided to do it. You, you know, you obviously can debate that. The fact that they did it right before the combine, um, you know, might and right before the day when they found out what the salary cap uh, number was going to be. Um, and they knew the salary cap number was coming soon. Um, you know, maybe there was maybe there was some meaning to that to to, to just kind of make it a little bit easier so everybody knew where they were with, with, with you know. But you know, I I think in general because they just you know especially with you know the only quarterback they have on the roster is Gino. Um, they may go ahead and try to draft somebody. I think when they view the quarterback situation as a whole, I think they still feel like it's sort of unfinished and that they don't, you know, um, they could easily use their first round pick on, on a quarterback. And so, um, you know, if they did that, obviously, then then you're probably letting that guy compete some for sure in training camp. So I think it's more that. I don't, I don't think there's any like loss of confidence or faith in Gino, but, um, you know, he's, he's, He'll be 34 in October, and he may not be your quarterback for, for, for really super long. And, uh, you know, with the new coaching staff, you're kind of looking at everything with new eyes here a little bit. Do you think John's done a, a reasonably good job with the quarterback position? Um, you know, we were talking about how he went down and looked at Patrick Mahomes and took a look at uh, Josh Allen and, you know, was thinking about drafting those guys. You know, he, he's the guy who drafted Russ. How do you how do you feel about his eye for that position? Do you think you know? Obviously, he's you know he's got an eye for cornerbacks, that's for sure. But as far as quarterbacks go, how, what kind of job do you think he's done? Well, yeah, I mean, we have so little evidence really because once they drafted Russell, there was no need to ever really draft another quarterback. And you know, John brought that up yesterday. Uh, you know, they've only drafted two quarterbacks in his 14 years here, and he came from you know the Green Bay uh, from Green Bay, where one of their philosophies is always just kind of keep drafting quarterbacks and you know that was why green bay drafted uh you know guys like brunel and aaron Rodgers when they had when they had starters and um you know they always kind of just kept adding to the position and, and hasselback and, and guys like that you know they always just kept adding to the position even if it wasn't necessarily a huge need um you know they never they never really did that in seattle because once they had russell i think they just always felt like they had other guys when uh, you know, there wasn't a quarterback really available in a spot where they felt it made sense to take to take one. Um, you know, I don't I don't know if it it was a, a real thought to never do it. I think it just kind of worked out that way. But uh, yeah, I mean, drafting Russell alone obviously, you know, uh, puts you in kind of a, a Hall of Fame category a little bit um, in, in terms of being able to look at quarterbacks and and you know, Geno Smith. I mean, you got to give him credit for for signing him and then hanging on to him and then you know when they made the Russell trade, you know, making sure they had him and. Um, um, you know, having seen him and, and kind of, you know, having developed that relationship with Gino, where he was able to kind of hang through that, and then and then then be a more than suitable replacement for Russell when the time came to make that trade. Um, you know, that did sort of allow them. I think that gave them a little bit of comfort when they made the Russell trade to know that you know we have Gino Smith and and we can add to it as well from there. But uh, you know, I. I, I the only other quarterback they drafted is Alex Magoo in the seventh round, and that's just kind of a seventh round flyer on a guy. So there's uh, nothing much you can read into that. You know, certainly before they drafted Russell, they did you know do some acquiring a quarterback, signing Matt Flynn, uh, trading for for Charlie Whitehurst, and and you know neither of those things really necessarily worked out. But I think that's you know John's broader philosophy is was that Green Bay philosophy is you know you really don't have too many quarterbacks until you know for sure you have the one so you're always kind of looking to keep taking quarterbacks and that was kind of what led them to take Russell even though they just drafted Matt Flynn 
And I think that could be kind of what is going on now, you know, for the people who, you know, if you're looking at Gino, it's like, yeah, you have Gino, but this is maybe, this might be the perfect time to also, you know, go get a quarterback um, high in the draft to then have a guy that, to let a new coaching staff develop as well for the long term. So we, we saw them do the, the shift with his, you know, roster bonus, signing bonus, whatever, that shift to free up some cap space. And, and I can't imagine he's going to be the only guy they address uh, in that way, whether they ask somebody to take a pay cut or restructure. Who, what do you see happening next? I mean, it feels like Jamal Adams is the prime candidate to be released or a minimum restructure, maybe Tyler Lockett, some of the guys that make more money. I don't know, Quandre Diggs. What do you how, – how – how far down the, the pecking order do you see them going in terms of restructuring and or maybe releasing some guys? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple others they can do that aren't, you know, quite as big, but they could give them some money as well, like Brian Monet, um, you know, would be about $5 million. Uh, it's easy to forget that, you know, his contract since he had, since he didn't play last year, but but that'd be about $5 million right there. Um, you know, a guy like Will Disley, uh, there are some other things they, they, they could do of not, as, of not as big as names as those guys. You know, the higher cap uh, made it a little bit easier for them. They've got about $13 million, um, in available cap space, and they're going to need a lot more than that. They are going to have to do some things. But that, that sort of helped everybody a little bit to not necessarily have to have to maybe cut as many guys as they thought. Um, you know, the caveat there is, you know, the higher cap space means that all the agents are going to be asking for more money for the for their free agents, you know. So, um, you know, it might just kind of be that, that that ends up being negligible. But in terms of things you had to do right now to get cap compliant, um, knowing that the cap's going to be higher made it a little bit easier for teams, uh, you know, to maybe not necessarily have to rush into some of the moves that they thought they might they might have to, but yeah, I, you know, there's, there's a, a lot of different things the Seahawks could do. Jamal Adams is an obvious one. And obviously it was, you know, perked everybody's uh, uh, um, ears yesterday when, when uh, John Snyder said, uh, you know, they don't know for sure if he's going to be part of um, Mike McDonald's defensive plan. So, you know, obviously I think that's a discussion they're having about, about, about Jamal and what they, what they could do there. And, and again, they don't necessarily have to flat out cut him. You know, they, they could maybe go to him and see if they could rework that and, and bring down the cap hit and, and the salary quite a bit. And, and uh, you know, who knows if he, if he would agree to that players, obviously players don't have to agree to restructures, but they do have to agree to, you know, com- uh, completely, uh, um, uh, you know, redoing the deal and, and signing a new one. So, um, you know, I think that's all the kind of stuff they're trying to figure out right now. Hey, Bob, what the hell's going on with Jamal Adams? I mean, I've never, you know, when they played them, him in that second game, I, I just, I couldn't believe it. I mean, he, he was injured and he, he didn't, he, he wasn't able to play up to his ability and up to the responsibilities of the position he's playing. And, you know, I, I, to me, that was that was a very strange. That was one of the more head scratching things that I've seen happen on the field for the Seahawks in in a long time. What 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 do you know about the inside of of that you know that story? Like, where exactly were they with with Jamal Adams when they put him out on the field and and he was hurt? I mean, I, what was that arrangement? Well, I mean, I, I think they really, I think Jamal really wanted to play against New York last year, and so I, I think there was you know, a little bit of a all along that that was the game he really pointed to for the obvious reasons of New York, that he wanted to play that Monday nighter against the Giants. Um, and he was, you know, healthy enough. I, you know, I, I defend him a tiny bit. I think he played okay those first couple games. Uh, my understanding is I think it was the Cleveland game where it really kind of caught up to him again. 
Um, if you recall, that was the game that he he sort of helped win with the with the blitz where the ball went off his helmet and they got the interception by by Julian Love to kind of clinch that one. But um, you know he played you know they played pretty well defensively in Cincinnati and he played most of that game and that was you know they played him and they played that they used the three safety package a lot and that was I think sort of the the template for what they wanted to do. Um, but his his knee kind of just kept getting worse. It was obvious it did not not fully healed. And the more he played, sort of the worse it got. Um, I think they kept trying to kind of tough it out a little bit there, and, and kind of hope that with uh, um, you know some some rest days here and there, and the bye weeks and stuff like that, that that, that you could make it through that. But uh, it just ended up not really, uh, you know, it, it didn't work out. So um, I, I think that's one of the things that the Seahawks have to grapple with, though, too, is how much of what you saw from Jamal last year was injury related, and if he does get if he does get completely healthy, do you do you still feel like he can be the player that you know, he was an all-pro second uh, second team all-pro the first year the, the first year they had him, and before he really just started getting hurt a lot his second year. And, and you know, is it too late for him to become that player again? Or with you know not really having played a whole lot at all the last two years, you would think you know not a, not a lot of rest of wear and tear on the rest of his body at least by not having played a lot. And so if you can get the knee healthy, can you get him back to being that player? I think that's all that's all the kind of stuff they really kind of try to they have to try to figure out. Um, or, you know, uh, is Jamal amenable to, uh, you know, a little bit more of a, of because you do still have Julian Love and Quandre Diggs under contract and you make him sort of the, the third safety and he plays more of a, you know, situational role, but obviously you're paying him, you know, you, he's got the highest cap hit of any safety in the NFL right now for, for the 2024 season. And so that, that's not necessarily a good, a, a good, uh, a good use of the, the cap there. Um, if, if you did ask him to do something like that, but, uh, you know, I, I think, again, I think that's all the kind of stuff they're trying to figure out right now is, is how to do that. And, and you know, where does Mike, would Mike McDonald feel like there's a way that the way that he uses the safeties, um, would that be a good a good use of that? Baltimore does did use a lot of three safety looks last year. Um, you know, so I, I think in general, the way the way the Seahawks used their safeties last year and, and envisioned using those three guys the way that Pete did, I think is definitely something he could incorporate into what he does. But, you know, whether you want to do it with uh, with Jamal Adams and at a 27 million essentially uh, cap hit for next year, you know, that's that's a really big question. And, you know, John's answer yesterday uh, to me was the firmest, uh, you know, it was really the first time I, I felt like he'd ever admitted that that's that's that, you know, that there's a chance Jamal wouldn't be back. He is Bob Condota, the Seattle Times, joining us from Indianapolis side of the NFL Combine. Bob, always a pleasure to speak with you. We really appreciate you taking out some time with us with uh, your schedule going on out there. So uh, enjoy the rest of your time there, and I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. Okay. All right. Thanks for that. Thanks a lot, you guys. There you go. Bob Condota, the Times, again, joining us from Indianapolis. Uh, thanks to him. Coming up. One strength of the Mariners the last few seasons might now be a big question for this team moving forward. We'll get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Well, we talked earlier, Dave, about an article that uh, we saw out of the Seattle Times sort of just projecting the the uh, roster for the Mariners and broke it down by position groups, the outfielders, the infielders, starters, relievers. And there was one big name missing from that reliever group, and that was Matt Brash. And we they wrote a little note here. It says uh, there is a name missing from this projected bullpen. 
who was expected to play a major role this season. Right-hander Matt Brash was shut down from throwing after feeling, quote, banged up following his bullpen session last Tuesday. The young reliever didn't provide many details, but looked down at his elbow during the conversation. Mariners manager Scott Service uh, had no details on the situation, both in his morning media session and in a recent radio interview. He wouldn't provide details on where Brash was hurting. Service said they will have an update on the issue in the next couple of days. Now, this is the line that I read that just struck me wrong. Industry sources believe that Brash could miss an extensive amount of time, possibly the season, and then says even if the updates are positive on Brash's arm, he likely won't be ready to go for opening day, and the Mariners certainly won't rush his progress. That's pretty ominous sounding. I don't know. I, again, I don't know who industry sources right. are and why they would have more insight as to what's happening. I don't. I certainly don't expect him and and in service to say anything like, yeah, his elbow's fired up. It's 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 pretty swollen. We're pretty worried. I mean, you're just not going to hear that stuff. So they're keeping it quiet. And we heard the cut from uh, Brock and Salk when they asked him about, well, what is forearm, a shoulder? And he's like, it's his arm. <laughs> so Yeah, they had a they, little laugh about that. But yeah, they didn't want to get specific. But I don't know. That line is very, very ominous. I agree, and that that's, that's something that the thing we brought up when we talked about it earlier, at least for me, I'm looking at him going, yeah, he's six foot one. He's almost as, as tall as I am. You know, he's a normal sized, you know, guy. He's 170 pounds. Are you saying you weigh more than that? I weigh more than that. There's no question about that. That's not what I was bringing up. Um, is, I would be two Matt Brashes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that, and we, uh, we talked yesterday about, you know, the, just the torque that you put on your arm. And then, you know, I was looking at his numbers and, you know, we, we sitting here during the the break, looking at his numbers, going, yeah, he pitched seventy innings, seventy and a third. So, yeah, I, I don't know what uh, what what to say about that. The thing is, I, I think, or I'm sorry, seventy point two, seventy and two thirds uh, innings, You're way off, way off. And you know, the, this guy, he puts he puts his body through through a lot, and he's not that big of a guy. And you know, you talk about that sweeper and how it's. You know, the, the guy at Driveline said it was like one of the best pitches in MLB history as far as the movement and things like that. Like, you you put a lot of torque on your arm to get that done. Mm -hmm. So that really worries about me and he, me about uh, that whole thing. And the, the thing, whenever I think about the bullpen, I always think about him and, and Munoz, that those two guys uh, that just have special pitches. I mean, Gabe Spire, really good. Uh, Taylor Saucedo, with the, forgot about him. Um, but... Those are the two guys that I feel like you've got two ends of the spectrum. One guy that's just an absolute fireballer, and then another guy that throws a ridiculously breaking pitch. I remember Ryan Roland Smith in here talking about it, just going, "It's crazy." I mean, it's and he's a former pitcher. Yeah, talking about how you know he's never seen anything like it. So yeah, I mean, I think those two are like the the top of the of the list when you think about the Mariner bullpen, which has been really good. And so now, yeah, a guy like that with, uh, you know, him him not being available, it's worrisome. It's huge. It's huge. I mean, especially with the with the departure of Seawald, and it just put a little bit more emphasis on and Topa. On his, yeah, and Topa. Topa, I think, was right there. I have to look up his innings. I think he, what'd you say, seventy and two thirds. Yes, I'm gonna, I'm so, gonna, I'm gonna uh, guess he's sixty nine ish, six well, or seventy. Matt Brash and Justin Topa. Matt Brash most innings in baseball last year. Seven most appearances, sorry. So he got up and went in 78 times. So, yeah, not the most innings, but 78 games is the most. And Justin Topa, 
tied for third most, 75 games. Yeah, how many innings? second most. Uh, Topo was 69, even. 69, yeah, so an inning and two-thirds less, and then, yeah, a few appearances less. But, you know, those those guys, you're you're relying a ton on them, you know, and that's, that's a good point to bring up. Topa's gone. Seawald's gone. It put that much more, certainly going into this season, on Munoz and Brash being your guys with, Mo- with the idea of Munoz being the closer. Uh, presumably, I know you, you got a couple of other arms over in the offseason. We'll see what they do, you know. But, you know, what's a uh, uh, dude from the White Sox? Robertson, right? Santos. Santos. Yeah. Where, where did I get Robertson from? I don't know. It's late. Santos yep. is, is dealing with, with a bit of a shoulder thing, and he's not been throwing. So right. you're like, all right, what what's this? is This has been a strength for them, and they've been remarkably consistent in, in an area where – it's wildly inconsistent for most teams from year to year. We've talked about it. Bullpen's great one year. Essentially, the same cast comes back, and they're getting lit up. So they've been really good at this, but you're wondering if they're hitting a point of of uh, too much attrition there, whether it's guys leaving and Topa and Seawald or guys getting hurt and brash and, and Santos, and you know maybe Santos will be fine. He'll be ready to go. But right now, it's a little worrisome to see this. It really is, and especially you know since we've had pretty good luck, you feel like you're you're due. I'd say I say the same thing about um, Mitch Haniker that he's due to not have the, an accident. The, the other way, yeah. But I mean, for this, this is one of the most disappointing things I think when it comes to you're you're in the preseason of football or your spring training and baseball. It's one thing to me if a guy doesn't work out. You know, he's just not what we thought he was. He's on the decline. Okay, you know that that. To me, I can handle that. But when somebody is a really good player and they get injured, I guess maybe it's personal for me because I remember twice during my career when I was like, I felt like I was on top of my game and I got hurt. Mm-hmm. And there's just really, there's nothing that you can do about it. And it's just frustrating because I think they do have the right guy there in Matt Brash. They they worked hard to get him and develop him. And, you know, as uh, as Divish calls it, the the pitching lab, out in the in the bullpen is is pretty good, you know they've they've done a really good job and helped develop Brash and of course he went to drive line and all that but you know you we've we've not worried about them but I, I don't know I guess on the other hand speaking of what you know what Divish said these guys have been able to the Mariners and uh, the bullpen coaches have been able to develop guys yeah. so do we just go okay well Matt Brash is gone maybe it's going to be Trent Thornton this year or you know, Austin Voth or, you know, Taylor Saucedo. I w- Not that I want anybody to be hurt, but I would have felt better if it were one of those names that we're talking about here. Instead of Brash? Yes, yes, because he's your high leverage guy. He's the guy you're putting in there when you, you need to get it done. You need to – you always need it whenever you put these guys in. But when you got guys on base, or you, you need to know, okay, he's going to get through the meat of the order here. we got to have that guy. That's brash. He's special. That's, and, that's and the, your guy. Well, and the thing is, you know, and I, I just remember writing this down in my notes a lot of times last year that sometimes when he's in, to be fair, it's a bit of an adventure. He, yeah. He'll sometimes command can not really find much a bit. control. But <laughs> well, that was his problem as a starter. That's why he became a bullpen guy. Right, right. So I remember him starting in a game. I think it was in Chicago. And was it? The rain game, or was that Robbie Ray? I think that was Robbie Ray. Yeah, I remember him, you know, just getting in huge trouble. That was the game they should have postponed. And we're sitting. That was Robbie Ray, though. Yeah. Yeah. And we were sitting here like, hey, why are we on the air? There are puddles in the infield. Yeah. 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 Yeah, He was getting blown off the mound. Yeah, it was Robbie Ray. Yeah, I mean, he he initially beat out George Kirby for that 
for that rotation spot. Brash, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and and they found a great spot for him. And this is part of, you know, what the, the magic that they've done in their bullpen of getting, not only acquiring guys like Paul Seawald, mm-hmm. who's, you know, a 30-year-old rookie, but also um, just finding a, a guy like Brash who just has a special pitch. And, you know, that's that's the thing. I mean, I think it's almost like a thunder and lightning combination with uh, with Munoz and his triple-digit uh, pitch, and then you got Brash who comes in with this ridiculously sweeping, you know, slider. Yeah, slider that is just—he's he's got—he gets upper nineties as well. I mean, he's—he's—he's not, yeah. not a soft tosser up there by any stretch. So hopefully, we'll get some good news on it. Uh, by the way, somebody said uh, two five three said the average American male is five nine. How dare you call six one normal for us short people? <laughs> you know what? I, I is that I, the average five? I had heard five ten actually, but. I mean, I'm I'm like you know, for a baseball player, he's six one. It's not like he's just this huge guy, but sl- very slight. Yeah, guy. he is. He's not a big dude. How tall are you, Lefko? Uh Five eleven. Five eleven. So you're above average. Nice. Certainly not in, weight. Not, in no, weight. No. not in weight. Not in weight. When I was talking yeah. about, you know, he's yeah, 170. I'm like, eh, that's probably yeah. about what Lefko's around, buck sixty, buck sixty five. Lefko, you don't weigh one seventy. One sixty five. One sixty five. That's been a good day at the gym. Oh, that's that's okay. tipping the scales. I get that muscle built up to one sixty five. <laughs> <laughs> Remember last year, he's like going for runs when we were down there on spring training. I'm like, what are you doing, man? You don't need to get in shape. You don't have any fat on your body. He says, I'm getting fat. Gotta he, go. He's trying to get buffed jogging. You guys that's not don't the way get to go, man. I I do that so I can eat. Yeah. Remember yeah. the guy, Fluffco? The guy sent the thing? Fluffco. <laughs> fat Lefko. That, that's what it would be. I forgot about it. As Lefko. much as I eat, I have that's, to. That is funny. We've yeah. had Fat Lefko. What other <laughs> uh, versions of Lefko have we had? Cocky Lefko. Uh, I guess that's every day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> none have the same ring Just to it as Fluffco. Fluffco yeah, <laughs> was good. Yeah, somebody sent in a picture of, uh, uh, I guess it was somebody that kind of looked like Mike, but he was a heavier yeah. guy. Yeah, that's right. I'm trying to remember who that was. That and the boys on the boat thing over across. Oh, in our that's his lot. doppelganger, man. I'm telling, like every time I look up at that thing, I'm like, there's what Mike is back in the 30s or whenever that was. It's like the third guy from the right. Is that right? Ooh, yeah. yeah, I'll have to go check out who that actually is. That's your doppelganger. That That is you, I'm telling you. At least in that picture. <laughs> All right, coming up, we learned a lot of things about one person at our station today. We'll find out exactly what that is. Coming up with Wyman and Bob, this is Seattle Sports on 710. This is a house of learned doctors. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. What did we learn today? No one's a bigger idiot than me. It's the easiest way out. We got a lot under under our uh, under our watch today that we learned. Specifically about one person is what you wrote? Yeah, actually a couple co-workers. You know, oh, we learned uh, a lot about two of our co-workers. I today. think one of them uh, that we're going to talk about I was just giving Bob an update here. He sent me, and it's Brock, he sent me a bunch of pictures of, it looks like it's at the house down there. And so somebody has prepared a meal. And it's got, like, steak and salad and a bean dish and bread and mashed potatoes. And I'm like, what? what is this? So I asked him, I said, is this why you missed your, your interview? And then also, did Mara really kill a rabbit? And are you cooking it for dinner? <laughs> And did he respond? I didn't hear, him, hear from him yet. Surprisingly, yeah. Wow, surprise! <laughs> yeah. wow. He doesn't. He doesn't respond. You couldn't uh, find the time for that either. No. Wow. Uh, we'll get. We'll get to that though. But what became more concerning is that we just apparently learned now that Wyman suffered memory loss down there last year. 
last year there was a day where it was just a downpour when you guys were out there. Like, Lefko had to shield the equipment oh, with umbrellas. It was coming and down. And I was just watching it on the video stream from my nice climate-controlled booth. Oh, that was a great day. Enjoying great day. the whole thing. He's watching <laughs> our, another one of our those. signs blow over. Lefko's trying to avoid the electrocution that was going to happen there. Who got hit in the head by the sign? Was that me? Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> was that you? He yeah. doesn't remember. I Did so. I get knocked out? Who was that? <laughs> it might have been you, Dave, if you don't remember. That was before we decided to put the sandbag well, over even, the top of Even it. the sandbags didn't hold yeah. it down. Let's remember? add another thing that is uh, vanquished Wyman. Yeah. The sign. <laughs> the sign. Was that me? The guy? Uh, yeah, I was like the next day, I'm like, Matt, or uh, Mike, why don't you sit here? How many times are I going to confuse Mike and Matt here? Uh-huh. Like, yeah, uh, Lefko, why don't you get over on that side? Yeah, that was, was that me. That was some kind of seven ten thing. It was metal, and I, I don't know how you describe that. It kind of folded out, and it was about six feet tall. <laughs> Somebody got hit in the back of the head. You'd think you'd remember if you got hit. <laughs> was no, that maybe me? not. I got hit really hard. I have to go back and listen to that uh, that episode. Oh. Just all over the place. Oh man. Yeah, things were falling all over the place there. That's for sure. What is it when you cook rabbit? Anybody know? What is it when you cook? Yeah, what's it called? Like, like a stew? Ra- rabbit stew? Yeah. Hassenpfeffer. Oh. Okay. Remember that? Wasn't that from a cartoon? It sounds familiar. Yeah, like yeah, a maybe it was. Sam, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe it was a cartoon. Same. Bugs Bunny. Sure. <laughs> sure, I'll go with that. Well, uh, what yeah. else did we learn? Uh, yeah, speaking of Brock, we learned that you guys had a very nice, warm lead into him coming onto the show today. I'm going to cheer him on. I'm going to let him does know. a great job. I'm going to let him know he's saying the right things. He's on the right path. You're doing a great job. Mm-hmm. We are just teasing. <laughs> we like teasing Brock. Brock likes teasing people. Brock. That's his favorite thing. If he thinks he gets you yes, on Brock. something, he gets uh, that little childish giggle. And- of anybody here, he deserves it the most because he's such an instigator. He gets such a kick out of instigating. So, oh, yeah. He's also the most gullible person. <laughs> Some of these ridiculous <laughs> the <most> internet... Gullible. <laughs> <laughs> Some of these ridiculous internet things where it's like, you know, Cal Ripken's wife, you know, this and that. And that's oh. why he, you remember that one? Yeah, I so really want to bring the it up. street going. Uh, Kevin Costner supposedly was part of that. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then certain people <laughs> being the, someone else. Uh, yeah, he, he's he, the most gullible. <laughs> he likes to buy into all that stuff. Well, well stay tuned at three o'clock. Gullible Brock Heward will join us on the program. No, we were the gullible ones thinking yeah. he'd be here at 3 o'clock. He's sitting there laughing at us going, huh, see who's gullible. Exactly. He thought I was going to come on. Showed us. <laughs> Apparently, he was out shopping for food. That's, That's the assumption based on the spread that he yeah. tweeted or texted you a spread. picture of. Well, the explanation I got, he did give kind of an explanation. He just said, got the hours mixed up. My watch was dead. His watch what? was dead? Yeah. And, and, and he was texted his phone you on his phone? Too? With the, with the clock on it? Nobody even saying. wears a That's watch the anymore. explanation I got. I don't know where his phone was. Just but. look at your phone to see what time it is. That was a terrible excuse. Horrible. And, and you said you, uh, you bought him, it? You sent him a text this morning reminding <laughs> no, him. No, I didn't say I bought the excuse. I said he knew what time it was because we, we went back and forth on the times yesterday to clarify, yes, 4 o'clock your time, 3 o'clock our time, and then a tweet, you know, today tagged him in the tweet, said three o'clock, Brock Heward. So it's not very Christian of him to lie. <laughs> yeah, my yeah, watch no. was dead as I text you from my phone. That's got this big clock on the front of it. When it, especially when you when you turn the screen off, there's the clock. Come on, man. Sarah in Auburn says mutton. I think that's like sheep or something, right? Mm. Uh, nothing on this mutton. Yep. 
Jen in Beaverton says, yes, it was Bugs Bunny. That Hoss and Pfeffer. Oh, okay. On. It sounds like a, sounds like a, uh, what, a what is that? Uh, is that Warner Brothers? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we also learned another thing uh, about another co-worker today. We learned that Wyman offended Matt today. Matt, what's going on today? Can I, can I guess? Go ahead, Dave. He doesn't like that the grown-ups are talking. <laughs> okay? <laughs> the grown-ups are talking during the break. We can't have the children listening. <laughs> You're well, going to need to explain phone, what you mean yeah. by that. And I'm not even talking about Matt, and, or I'm sorry, Mike and Taylor. I'm just talking about Matt. I don't blame you. Matt, shh, the grown-ups are talking now. <laughs> Usually during commercial breaks, Matt will open the studio door that, that joins the uh, producer booth there. Yeah. And then you and I were talking about something that... And they can hear us. Yeah. And, they, and that's the thing that like I learned early on when I was ripping Matt one time. <laughs> And he's like, and he's in there, and he's like, I can hear you. <laughs> the door is open. Uh, insult me to my face if you're going to insult me. That's all I ask. Well, <laughs> well, I was at the time. I, actually, I, I was going to smile if he turned around and looked, but it didn't seem like he could hear me, so I kept going. <laughs> the adults are talking. <laughs> Who started that uh, tradition, by the way, of opening the door and, like, did they tell every board off that can, as soon as the show goes to commercial, you get up, you open the door? No, and... it's because you guys don't listen if we try to tell you things through the speaker. Yeah. Or you can't hear them. Well, he texted us from 10 feet away. We're coming back now. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why <laughs> that that's a thing. Funny. It's just a courtesy, I think. Oh, <laughs> coming back. I think back. it's Curtis Rogers that started that. That that would be like every, and I know that everybody's kind of, kind of doing that now that uh you get up right as soon as it goes to commercial you open the door and i think it's a big hassle for the board out op and i, I don't i don't think it should be a thing anymore <laughs> what the, do we think the adults need more privacy okay we'll keep you sealed in the room of farts <laughs> there you go oh, just took it there why'd you that's, go there that's, that's not happening here it's happening here it's happening here not me oh what what else did we learn yeah, anything else it. That's everything? That's enough. That's Yeah, that's a good note to end on. All right, a lot of baseball questions that need to be answered. We got the perfect guy for that, John Morosi. You're going to hear all of the answers coming up with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.